Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging. Maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. God bless you all. Thank you for being here tonight as we launch into Family Month. It is a wonderful, wonderful time to be a part of the family of God. Can everyone say amen to that? Praise God. Well, I'll be directing your attention to the book of Esther uh, this evening. And Esther, you know, it's uh, it's a unique book in in certain ways. Uh, It's one of only two books in the Bible that is named after and whose central figure in, in uh, in the book is a woman, uh, so that's unique uh, for the Bible. It's also uh, the only book of the Bible that does not directly mention God, um, which is, of course, another interesting uh, part of, of this book. But Pastor Carson, you, you preached on Sunday the letters from Damascus, and Esther has a, uh, there are letters that are critical uh, in the story of Esther in three different places, and we're going to look at at the last place where letters were mentioned. And so, Pastor Carson, I know uh, the Lord just had to divinely orchestrate the fact that you spoke about letters on on Sunday so powerfully. And um, we're taking that now right on the heels into this launch of Family Month. So I'm directing your attention to Esther chapter number nine. And we'll read six verses. Uh, It'll be 20 through 22, and then we'll skip over to 26 through 28. Esther chapter 9, verse 20, it says, And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters unto all the Jews that were in the provinces of the king Ahasuerus, both nigh and far, to establish this among them, that they should keep the 14th day of the month Adar and the 15th day of the same yearly as the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies and the month which was turned unto them from sorrow to joy and from mourning into a good day, that they should make them days of feasting and joy and of sending portions one to another and gifts to the poor. That sounds, that sounds pretty good to me. I like that. Skipping to verse number 26. Wherefore, they called these days Purim, after the name of Pur. Therefore, for all the words of this letter, and of that which they had seen concerning this matter, and which had come unto them, the Jews ordained and took upon them and upon their seed and upon all such as joined themselves unto them, so as it should not fail that they would keep these two days according to the writing and according to the appointed time every year. And that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, every city. And that these days of Purim should not fail from among the Jews, nor the memorial of them perish from their seed. So tonight, as we launch into this family month, I will be preaching as probably is no surprise to you, simply every generation. Look at your neighbor and just say, we're talking about every 
generation before you're seated. Every generation. Praise God. Praise God. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. As we launch into family month here at Calvary, it's my distinct honor, pastor, and it's also my sacred duty to stand before you this evening and deliver a message that the Lord spoke into my spirit many months ago in prayer and which has been stirring me ever since. And the message is simply this. Satan wants your defeat. But God has a victory for you and for every generation. I'm going to say that one more time for emphasis and to let it soak into our spirits. God, Satan wants your defeat, but God has victory for you and every generation. Every believer, every married couple, every young person, every child, every elder, every single, every widow, every widower, everyone, if you've walked with the Lord for 30 minutes or for 30 years, if you're fifth generation Pentecost or your first generation, everyone needs to know, believe, and live out this very truth. That while Satan wants your defeat, God has a victory for you and for every generation that follows. In our text, we read of the establishment of the Feast of Purim, or in English, we call it the Feast of Lots. It's a two-day celebration uh, commemorating the saving of the Jewish people from the wicked hand of Haman. And it's become one of the most joyous times in the Jewish calendar. Purim is to be held annually on the 14th and 15th day of the Jewish month Adar, which is the 12th and last month of the Jewish calendar. And while the holiday is celebrated with gladness and feasting, uh, the most distinctive aspect of Purim occurs when an elder sits at a table and they gather their family together and the elder recites the historical events from the book of Esther in the presence of their family and their friends. And whenever the story leads to the speaking of the name of the arch nemesis of Haman, those who are listening, especially the children, uh, they will enthusiastically uh, hiss or, or use noisemakers uh, to kind of drown out that evil name. And it also uh, is a way that they can symbolize and remember the fact that Haman was, in fact, ultimately destroyed. And, and I've asked the media team to help me because uh, I'd like for us to step into a, a Jewish home during the Feast of Purim as it would have occurred at the time of Esther. And the king arose in a wrath from his wine drinking, who went into the palace garden. But Haman, he stayed behind to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine, just as Haman was falling onto the couch where Esther was. And the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence? In my own house? It's a time of remembering. It's a time of celebration. A time of testimony. Where every generation is reminded how, under threat of utter annihilation, the righteous boldness of one Jewish girl 
who had become queen in a foreign land resulted in not just the preservation of the people, but also in the death of Haman and his sons. We love the story of Esther for its timeless tale of victory over vanquish, for its divine deliverance over calculated calamity, and the miraculous outcome of the request of a queen as a result of her bold approach to the throne. But it's important, and I would say even critical, that I take a little time here at the outset to establish the events that led up to this triumph. It's the story of Hadassah, better known by her Babylonian name of Esther, where we find this orphan and exiled young Jewish girl being blessed with the wise guidance of her adopted caregiver Mordecai, that she becomes the favored candidate for queen to the king Ahasuerus. And it's in chapter two where we read that Esther obtained favor in the sight of all of them that looked upon her. And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen. Everything seems to be going Esther's way. There are things that are looking very good for Esther. Things are looking up. She's risen in the ranks from a fatherless maiden with negative social stature to the duly vetted and royally chosen queen with direct access to the king of Babylon. But things are not to stay all roses and gumdrops for young Esther for very long. For soon after her meteoric rise to royalty, her mentor and her adopted father, Mordecai, uncovers a plot to annihilate the Jews in the kingdom. Destruction has come to their doorstep. Enter now the story's antagonist, a man named Haman, whom King Ahasuerus had promoted to be second in command within the kingdom of Babylon. Haman was a man to be respected, reverenced, and feared, for the king had given him nearly limitless power. Yet in Haman's mind, being so highly respected wasn't enough. He wanted to be worshipped. He was a man of ambition, commanding obeisance from all who were privileged to be in his presence. The Babylonian decree was issued, and thus the people were commanded to bow before Haman. For it was he who had ascended to hold a position above all the princes of the land. And so it seemed Haman was universally worshipped in Babylon. But then, of course, there was Mordecai. Mordecai was a man who, while in the gates of the city, had blown the whistle on an assassination plot for the king and who had saved the life of the royal. And then Mordecai was the man who postured and positioned and promoted Esther into the courts of the king to become the queen. Mordecai was a man who, in the mind of society, was wise enough to move all the chess pieces into place, yet foolish enough to disregard the command to bow before Haman. And it's Mordecai who now finds himself squarely in the crosshairs of Haman's wrath. And it wasn't only Mordecai that was uh, to face his fury. No, Mordecai was a Jew. And so Haman's anger was appropriated also to the Jews. It was appropriated to his community, to his blood, to his family. And so in his rage, Haman sets out to destroy every Jew in the kingdom. Time doesn't permit me tonight to go into every detail, so I'll hasten to the point of the narrative where Esther has to make a decision that will affect every generation. In this moment, 
in an attempt to avoid certain annihilation to the Hebrews in exile and knowing that only a direct petition to the king had any chance of success. Mordecai asked Esther to contemplate a very sobering question that today has become synonymous with the story itself when he asks her, Esther, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And now Esther has come to this place of understanding that her position has afforded her unique access to the only force that can uh, halt Haman's diabolical deed. And while she knows that approaching the king uninvited could mean her own death, she nevertheless hearkens to Mordecai's words. And when she steps into her own unique circumstance and she says, if I perish, I perish. I'm going to go to the king. It's here that she decides to present the case to the king. And her bold approach into the throne room becomes the impetus for an unfolding of great deliverance of her people, her family, and even herself, for she too was also a Jew. All because she came to accept the truth in this statement. It's the statement that I made at the beginning of this message that Satan wants your defeat, but God has a victory for you and for every generation. And it's here that Queen Esther makes this decision that she would act boldly on behalf of her family. Can I tell you tonight that we have an enemy who has sworn to use every means necessary to attack, injure, destroy, and obliterate you and your family. Yes, he has. The enemy of your soul. Satan himself is looking for anything that he can do and anything that he can use to take you away from the promises of God. He's looking to ruin your marriage. He's looking to corrupt your kids. He's looking to tear about, tear about your relationships. He wants to derail the call of God on your life and make you ineffective for the kingdom. He wants to stomp you into the ground, rip you into pieces, scatter you into the wind and drag you and your family off as a trophy of hell. I can hear the words of the apostle Peter as he says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil is walking about roaring as a lion, seeking whom he may devour. And let me get a little bit more current with my language here. I want us to see how uh, devastating the plans are for the enemy. I'm going to be direct and I'm going to be bold because our enemy will not hold back. So neither should we. Youth, the enemy of your soul wants you to think that the culture of instant gratification is where it's at. That you can indiscriminately give yourself to anyone or anything and not be affected by the consequences this mistaken belief that sinful pleasures in the here and now can be guiltless and that, that sneaking off into dark corners and parties will somehow be a thrill that you'll celebrate in five, 10, or 15 years. Can I tell you that compromise will never leave you with nothing but regret, hurt, and heartache. Calvary youth, there is a Haman that wants you destroyed, but God has a plan for your victory. Young adults in these critical years, of establishing your independence. As an adult, the allure is strong. I understand that, to seek independence from godly authority. The enemy tempts you with questions of uh, righteousness and wants to question the invaluable influence of your parents and your pastor and your peers and even the very word of God itself. Young adults, there is a Haman in your future that wants your fire, your apostolic Pentecostal ministry, dead. But God has a plan for your victory. Singles, 
My goodness, Pastor, you mentioned it. I'm going to give the devil a black eye right here, and I'm just going to shine a light on the lies that the enemy would like to tell our, our single people. You are not handicapped due to your singleness. Whether for a season or for a lifetime, being single is not a flaw. I curse the lies of the enemy that would try to make you feel that you are anything less than a royal heir or the, to the king. So come on, singles, there's a Haman that wants you and your future dead, but God has a plan for your victory. Husbands, he wants you so hooked on illicit, porn, or illicit imagery that while your wife is crushed under the weight of knowing that she'll never measure up to the airbrushed, photoshopped, objectified images that the awful content has trained your brain into thinking is normal, this debased sense of imagery and intimacy will rob you of value, will leave you and your, uh, with little hope will delegitimize your ability to lead your family. Husbands, there's a Haman in your future that wants you and your priestly position in the home to be dead. But God has a plan for your victory. And wives, on the flip side of this, the devil desires to see you so longing for love that you find your emotional satisfaction in the pages of a romance novel or some crazy social media site where the old embers of long ago crushes are rekindled, ultimately leaving your marriage to die out into an ash heap. Wives, there is a Haman that wants you and your ability to affect a godly environment in your home to be dead, but God has a plan for your victory. Parents, he wants you to abdicate your God-given role as the loving instructor and protector of your children to a society that says children should be free to make any insane choice that a perverse culture would like to thrust upon them. The enemy wants you to believe that you, their parents, should just shut up sit down and stand back and solidly affirm any perverse notion that society decides to plant on the young minds of our impressionable kids. I tell you, there is an enemy that wants to take out our children and he wants to do it with all the vengeance that he can possibly muster. But God has a plan for victory. I'm gonna talk to the elders in this room tonight. Elders, this church loves you and we honor you. We love you with everything inside of us, and I shudder to think how the enemy would love nothing more than for you to turn your back on truth out of the mistaken belief that you've somehow outlived your influence, when in fact, you've never had more influence on generations who follow. Can I tell you, the devil wants you out of the fight, feeling irrelevant, out of touch, somehow useless and discarded. Let me pause here to say with utmost certainty that we need you. We need you. You are priceless. I want my children to see some gray-haired grandma running and shouting and jumping in this place. I saw it as a kid and I want my children to see it too. Elders, we need you. We need you. God has a plan for your victory. Thank you, Jesus. So it's on this baseline knowledge of a Haman that exists in every generation that I stand here today, calling out the enemy of our souls, that snake, Satan, we're onto your schemes. We know what you're up to and we're not gonna stand for it. We're putting our foot down right here and we're calling you out. And Satan, we're coming against you because we've got every generation watching and we're gonna win a victory. Just as in the book of Esther, where Haman wasn't satisfied to simply take out Mordecai, our enemy recognizes that represented in this room tonight are countless generations of future believers with limited, unlimited potential for the kingdom 
And it's his intention to take us out. So there's something that we have to realize about this plot, though. Something that the, that the story of Esther tells us that I'm so glad to come here and share with you tonight. In reality, the devil and all his planning and scheming, he's planning his own downfall. Right. You see, Haman, he came up with an idea to, to eliminate the Jews and, and uh, it was ultimately what ended up destroying himself. He died of his own devices. Sure, Haman drew up the blueprints. He laid the foundation and he oversaw the construction. He made sure that there was no possibility of escape. He acquired the right materials. He fashioned a foolproof method. He left nothing to chance, but he did. The one thing that he could not prevent was a royal bride from using her position and her proximity to the king to destroy his plan. Esther had come to the kingdom for such a time as this, and she was determined to fight, and fight she did. She was determined to fight, and fight she did. So I'm asking in this room tonight, are we determined to fight? Are we determined to have our own Feast of Purim? I've asked Brother Crabtree to help me. We saw at the beginning of this, uh, of this message a short video from Purim, and and uh, I, I want to bring it into reality. I want to bring it into our, our time. And uh, I want to have maybe what you might call it a Pentecostal Purim here tonight. Uh, I, I know that there are countless stories around this room of, of folks who have uh, been attacked and, and have been under siege, so to speak, from the enemy and who have come through with, uh, with a, a story of victory. And if we had time, we could certainly uh, give opportunities for those stories to be told. And we've told some of them around here. As a matter of fact, we told a story on the This Is Family podcast back, we aired it in, uh, in June for the uh, Father's Day special. It was uh, the three Turner men, three generations of Turners. And, and Brother Jared Turner, you're, you're, the, uh, you're the, the youngest member in that room. Um, but you told a story, Brother Turner, of how your grandfather, your great-grandfather, Sim Turner, how he won the battle with alcoholism so that Brother Wayne Turner, Brother Jeff Turner, Brother Jared Turner could be here today. And so if you will come with me, I think it's worth celebrating Purim today. I think it's worth giving the devil a black eye by bringing this testimony forward and, and you're fourth generation apostolic and, and you've got such great history and you're raising your family in, in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And, and it's such an amazing thing to watch. And I love seeing you over there with your girls. And I love seeing you, uh, you know, holding them and bouncing them on your leg. It's so amazing. So I'd like for you to take a place at the table as we, as we look to celebrate a, a Pentecostal Purim tonight. But uh, Brother Turner, you're, you're so blessed and, and to, to be so many generations deep into this truth. But not everybody has that heritage and, and not everyone has that blessing. Uh, I think of Brother Fridley, who we also spoke with on the, on the podcast. And Brother Fridley, uh, you came into this uh, truth, this Pentecostal way, uh, and, and, and you had a difficult childhood. Brother Fridley, could I ask you to join us for a Feast of Purim, because this Feast of Purim isn't only for the fourth generation Pentecostal. This Feast of Purim is for every generation, for everyone who will come 
for everyone who would like to take a seat at the table. So sir, if you wouldn't mind, join Brother Turner there. And uh, that food is edible. If, you, if you're just, if you hadn't had dinner yet, go right on ahead. Um, I leaned over to Pastor Carson before service and, uh, and I said, yeah, I didn't have dinner and I, I had a piece of cheese. I'll just admit, I did. I did, I did. I had a piece of cheese. My dear grandmother, who many of you know, but what you may not know, these are the memoirs from my grandfather that he wrote before he died. He was a, uh, a Korean War veteran. <clears throat> Grandma, you, you, you and Grandpa got married shortly before he left for Korea. Um, he came back a very changed man. You've told me this. And it was a very difficult time. Matter of fact, Grandpa and I had some good times of conversation before he passed. And he would tell me, Ben, it was very, very difficult. He used some very uh, dramatic language to share with me how difficult it was. And yet, Grandma, here we are today with these memoirs in our hand, knowing that he has a book full of testimonies, a book full of things that, that the Lord did for him. And here we are today bringing you, an elder, up to this table and asking you to go ahead and please join us. Join us for this Feast of Purim. Join us for this Feast of Purim. And I, I honor you and, and I thank you for, for the heritage that you have given. And now here in this room, having the fifth generation uh, of Pentecostals in this room because you and Grandpa decided we are going to fight for every generation. And I wanna tell you all here in this room tonight, it's my distinct honor and duty to ask every one of us to make a commitment in our minds that we would not just fight for ourselves, but that we would fight for every generation that follows. I did a little bit of studying. Jesus, I did a little bit of studying and, and, and it's interesting to me that the Jewish calendar, 12 months, the month of Adar is the 12th month in which they celebrate Purim. But it's on the first month, the month of Nisan, that they celebrate uh, that they celebrate Passover. Of course, the symbolic uh, uh, putting of the blood of the lamb on the doorpost that allowed the, the, uh, the death angel to pass by and, and save the people. It was the Passover where the blood of the lamb was applied to the doorposts. And then in the third month, it's the Feast of Pentecost, where, of course, they celebrate, uh, and we celebrate now here in this time, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that great and miraculous gift of God to all of us. It doesn't uh, strike me as any coincidence that we go from, from uh, Passover, the application of the blood, and then we go to the, uh, the Pentecost where we are received the spirit of God. And then we come to Purim where we celebrate the goodness of God. That is no coincidence. So I'd like to tell you tonight here that as we celebrate Purim every day of the year, if we celebrate what we do and how the Lord moves into our lives, that we can celebrate this knowing that we have overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. I'm wrapping up. I'm going to turn this uh, service back over to you, pastor. I'd like to ask our musicians maybe to make their way. And if there's anyone in this place who maybe feels like I haven't gotten to my Purim yet, I'm still fighting the battle. 
guess what? You're not alone. You're not alone. We're all fighting the battle for our families and for future generations, for every generation. But that doesn't mean that we can't come up here together as a body and wrap our arms around one another and fight together for the future and for every generation. If you notice, there is, there is a seat that is, that is here and, and is ready and is vacant. And I'd like for that to symbolize the seat that would be available to any one of us tonight. For anyone who would like to come, if you'll all stand with me, I'd like to uh, just ask you to start thinking about how you could apply this in your life, how you can take this message, this every generation, look at where you're at today, look at where your family is today and ask the Lord, God help me. I want your, your victory. I know that the enemy has a plan of defeat, but I know that you have a plan for victory in my life. I thank you, Jesus, for the celebration of Purim. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. We praise you. We thank you, Lord.